Support for Elwood City Limits is made possible by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Email. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. And by subscribing on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Thank you. And, and my free time. Well, hello, uh, good morning, good evening, good night, uh, good morning to you, gentlemen, gentle folk, gentle ladies, everybody. I don't know how to f- how to do these intros anymore. Like, I really just kind of start going into the Elwood City Limits podcast. Hello, welcome to the Episodic Arthur podcast. We may not be able to intro... We may not be able to... F- we may not know how to introduce a podcast, but... We can sure make one. I was just going <laughs> to... Yeah. My name's Will Young. My mind's a little bit all over the place today, but I thank you for joining us. Appreciate you listening once again. And that voice with me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Oh, that's right. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, there's a turkey in the studio. Let me just let me just pick him up. Let me get the turkey. All right. Turkey's gone. The podcast can start to all our American friends south of the border. Happy Thanksgiving. Audio theater. I like it. Yes, happy Thanksgiving indeed. We Canadians celebrated a month early so that we space out our turkey days between Thanksgiving and Christmas a little bit better. Well, I'll I'll, I'll say it a little bit better, but no disrespect. Thanksgiving in America, big thing. And uh, we, of course, Arthur, himself American. So uh, I'm sure it's important to him as well. And uh, I'm sure at some point we'll get an Arthur Thanksgiving episode, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Lucas, before we get into the show today, uh, I have an email. Ooh. We received an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. It is from John, and the subject is sleeping on GTA. Gentlemen, he's, he writes, I've been avidly listening along to the pod and really enjoying it. It's bringing back a great deal of happy memories. Excellent. Pod, I like that teen lingo. Just finished listening to episode 12, Valuable Cheese, our latest episode other than this one. Uh, Go on SoundCloud or iTunes. Check it out. And I've got some comments. Will, you're missing one of the best video games of all time by not finishing GTA V. Make an effort to just do the story missions. Get on it. Noted. I will see. I don't know. I just, uh, not to go too far into it, but uh, I, I kind of already mentioned that open world games kind of are a bit hit or miss for me. There's only been a r- couple that I've really enjoyed. Uh, and GTA Five. I don't know. I just kind of find s- the attitude of GTA doesn't really do it for me. And it was, uh, like, I had fun playing it, but it also just kind of, I wasn't really able to get into it. Well, so. well, d- d- don't tell John, but I didn't finish it either. S- so I guess this message is for both of us. <laughs> but, John, I'll consider it. And, of course, I bought that. And, y- you know, in you know, in a year or so, or well, I don't want to say a year, but at some point it may be pretty cheap. So I'm not going to close the book on it. But, you know, I did play a healthy amount of it. Your feedback is noted. Uh, Lucas, you're 100% right. Babies always cry. <laughs> Dogs don't always run away. Losing the dog is totally more harrowing. So there you go. He's he's uh, he's on the side of dogs. Uh, listening back to that episode, I mean, I definitely think you make a better case than I do, but it's definitely coming from different uh, different personal experiences. Well, yeah, it's about personal opinion and preference, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think, what if they made an Elwood City mod for Grand Theft Auto? Forget Liberty City, Elwood City. Buster, my cousin, let's go bowling. Let's go to the Sugar Bowl. You know what? I would play an open world game in the Arthur universe. I don't think there'd be much killing or anything. Hey, Arthur, want to go to the (laughs) treehouse? Then they'd be like, who, 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 what, okay. Yeah. Right quick, Uh what animal would Nico Bellic's cousin be if he was an Arthurized version? uh, Want to go to the treehouse? Pig? I I, I get (laughs) it. I don't. I don't know. I didn't play GTA Four. Also, I don't know if pigs are upright in the R three universe. Well, we'll have to. Evolved. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. I think pig works well enough. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of pal running away, John continues to write. You guys were kind of missing the point on this one. I think Ooh. you mentioned that this episode didn't have a moral, which is true. But then you also said that as a result, it didn't really seem to have much of a point. What the episode was meant to do, as far as I'm concerned, is to underline the relationship between Arthur and Pal. Also, Pal goes on the classic hero's journey here. The show is teaching kids a classic trope of storytelling. All right, so let's unpack this for a second. So, uh, to underline the relationship between Arthur and Pal. I disagree, because I feel like it it did, but... It wasn't the focus of the story. Like, because Pal is, for all intents and purposes, the main character of that episode, and he's not focused on Arthur. He's focused on Kate. And I feel like, it, if anything, it was establishing a relationship between Kate and Pal, seeing how far he wants to go for her. Whereas Arthur kind of feels the effects of Pal not being in his life, which, to your point, John, is uh, a little bit of... Uh, the relationship, but I felt it was really one-sided. I felt that Pal wasn't really considering Arthur in uh, in his situation. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's total. I totally agree that like I don't really think that the point was to strengthen the relationship between Arthur and Pal. I think it was just to have a Pal-centric episode. Yeah. Uh, but that does like really make his second point clear about it being the hero's journey. It totally is. It's totally Pal going on the hero's journey, and I think. It's less so an episode with a moral or a point, and it's more just like, let's watch Pal get into this wacky business. He's on these balloons. Oh, no. Uh, uh, he, uh, Hero's Journey, I mean, I'm, I, I, look, I don't have the book in front of me, so like, <laughs> I can't you know, refute it point by point, and nor do I necessarily want to. I just feel like there's a, like a, st- a real structure to it, but... Fair enough. It is. It, it was real. A re, it was a pal focused adventure, and I. You know what? As a kid, it probably worked for me. And you know, that's really a point with a lot of these things is that it is meant for kids, not twenty year olds uh, who sit around all day playing Hitman. So, uh, fair enough. The hero's journey uh, understood. Still not a fan of that episode, but I see exactly where you're coming from. Finally, guys, a question: Since you two caused the result of the American presidential election. <sighs> Oh, that's... Look, we didn't cause anything. It's the people who didn't listen to us. It's everybody else's fault, but mine and Lucas's. I'm going to need some help here. Other than Arthur, and in my case, The West Wing, what series do you turn to in order to cheer yourselves up and give you hope? Much love and hashtag OSM forever. Will will get it. John. Now, it's interesting because shows that cheer me up and shows that give me hope are two, I think, different things. I think you're right. Um... Well, I can immediately say one that does a little bit of both but definitely cheers me up and it's my go-to TV show uh when I'm drunk, when I'm just when there's nothing to watch, uh, Community. Oh, okay. Community is one of my favorite shows of all time and um 
it's I I just I love that show, and it's and it's weird because I discovered that at kind of a a very low point of my twenties, and then it, it's being a fan of it turned it into like led back to a high point. So it's a really important show to me. It absolutely always cheers me up. I'll also put in uh, the Simpsons, uh, classic Simpsons in the you know single numbered seasons. Uh, just watching an episode, really just going back to clips, uh, will always will always do it for me and always makes me laugh in one form or another. So a show that always cheers me up is the Eric Andre show. Uh, it, it's very short, so it's easy to digest, and it, I find it hilarious no matter how many times I've seen all the episodes. Bird up! Bird up! <laughs> See, you say that, and I just smile. Uh, it definitely, I wouldn't say it gives me hope, though. It's got kind of a pessimistic worldview yeah, yeah. to it. Especially like when you watch, I, I watched recently a compilation of like, uh, Eric Andre's like d- top whatever best interviews, and they were like, it, like watching them back and back is just back to back is like, wow, this is really antagonistic and yeah. like you discomfort said, is what it, uncomfortable, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but I love it. Uh, a show that gives me hope, and this is a little bit embarrassing, yeah. but um, I've been making my way through Naruto Shippuden Ooh. as an adult. Yes, you've been open about your fandom of uh, Naruto. <laughs> it's, it's again, it's I have to preface this by saying it's very embarrassing. Yeah. I like to think of myself as a well adjusted, well adjusted normal person, uh-huh. and when you hear I like Naruto Shippuden. Uh, <laughs> That starts to make you think, I don't know if he is. But I'll tell you what. It's pretty hokey. Hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think I would like it as much as if I didn't have connections to those characters as a kid when hmm. I used to watch the original Naruto when I was right. a little kid. But making my way through it now, uh, I'll definitely say that that's nothing if not hopeful. The whole outlook of that show is that Naruto Uzumaki, he believes in himself, and that's all that matters. He's right. going to believe it no matter what. And no matter what uh, comes up against him, he'll always make his way through because he's got his friends and he believes in himself. And that's a good attitude to have. I've learned a lot from Naruto Uzumaki, as corny as it is. It's true. Uh, First of all, no need to be embarrassed. We host a podcast about Arthur. True enough. And we are in our 20s. Um, So no problem. In fact, I'll I'll give you one back. Another one that makes me really happy is the Teletubbies. Like, I'll just put on a Teletubbies episode on YouTube, and I'm like, oh, like, it's the same reaction I have to, like, Pal and Kate. It's like, oh, they're so cute. I love the Teletubbies. So there you go. There's my embarrassing show. Uh, and I'll leave this with the show that gives me hope, and it's one that I'm really excited to rewatch. So uh, my girlfriend and I don't live together, but we're looking for one of the things that we're most looking forward to when we live together is that we're going to be able to watch sh- so many shows that we both told each other about and like hyped up to each other, and in my case, it's like play video games with her. Yeah. And so one of the shows that I'm most looking forward to is my favorite show of all time, and it's one of the only TV shows that I would say gives me hope, at least off the top of my head. That would be Six Feet Under. Oh. Six Feet Under is my favorite show of all time uh, because, and I apologize if I get a little dark here, but at the end of the day, one of the things I'm the most afraid of is dying. I really, 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 really don't want to die, and that is one of the biggest fears. But when I watch Six Feet Under, when I watch the whole thing, and of course Six Feet Under is a an HBO drama that was in the early to mid-2000s about a family that owns a, um, a funeral home. And it was through that that I have been able to have 
any kind of comfort whatsoever about the fact that one day I will die. And it gives and it gave me hope that it's not going to be that bad or well, <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to happen and that's okay. And now, to take you away from the thought of imminent death, Arthur. Well, actually, not so much. Oh my god. This oh, is this oh, death no. episode. Oh no. This is the death oh, episode. No. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. What have I done? Oh jeez. Okay. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Cuz What a word. What a words. What a series of words. <laughs> okay. So today <laughs> If there was ever going to be an Arthur episode that um, well, caused you to struggle with your own mortality. It is this one. Yeah, so. it's, yeah, it's because I really wanted to stop watching it. Let's strap in. So today, our episode is So Long Spanky and Buster's New Friend. We begin with So Long Spanky. The very first line of the episode. This is D.W.'s parakeet Spanky. Who? Who is this? What are we doing? Like, I immediately, I was just not... I knocked the mic away. Not having it. I was not having it. Who is it? Who is Spanky? And I knew, like, I remembered this episode. I knew exactly where it went. What? What? What are we doing? Now, I'll, I'll save this discussion for after we've walked through the entire episode. But I also was aware of your feelings. You've told me... And Lucas, I don't know about the Spanky episode that's coming up. <laughs> and I went into it with that expectation. Yeah, I apologize for souring it. For uh, hey, no, no, no. It didn't sour for me. It's it, it colored it in a very interesting way. So just keep that in mind as we go along here. And But I do have a lot to say about this overall Spanky experience as we go through this. I'll, I'll say this. The second we get introduced to Spanky, he's essentially the reverse of Pal. Whereas yeah. when Pal was first introduced, Arthur was all about him. And D.W. was annoyed by him. Spanky's the inverse of that. Uh, Arthur, not a fan of Spanky. In fact, Spanky even attacks Arthur's shoe. Eats, he eats the shoelace whole. Which is, which uh, is like, impressive. Which He's got would, a gizzard, I guess. I was going to say it should line his intestine. Like that, that's the reason he died is because he ate that shoelace. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe. Like, but uh, if you remember, Pal also attacked uh, DW's shoes yes. in an earlier episode. He didn't so. eat them, though. Mm. He had better sense than old Spanky over here. Yes, yeah, so it's DW's parakeet, <laughs> Spanky. Uh, and Arthur is talking about Spanky uh, and all of his experiences so far and how eventually, like, on one hand, on one hand, he's annoyed by him. Sometimes he feels sorry for him because imagine being DW's pet. And then he re- he reveals, well, you know, I I sort of like him when his with his big clothes. That is, yeah, I guess Becky's not so bad after all. Now I'll ask you this, Will: yeah. Have you ever met someone, or I guess yourself, who had a pet bird? Yes. And what did you think? What's I your hate- What's your opinion on pet birds? I hate birds. I hate <laughs> birds so much. I'll tell you, okay, I'll t- you know what? I'll tell you the story. This didn't make me hate birds, but it cemented the reason why I hate them. I was walking downtown, uh, the city where we used to live, and all of a sudden, like, I'm just listening to my headphones on the way to the library. All of a sudden, something hits the side of my face. It's a pigeon. A pigeon smacked all of its body into the side of my face. <laughs> Okay, I thought you were going to say you pooped on you, but no. that's crazy. No, pigeons have pooped on my car, too. No, and you know what it is? Like, I don't 
I don't like them. I don't like the way they move. It's too. It's like too fast. They move like a. They move like a silent movie character, like something out of Nosferatu. They move too fast and yet too slow. Uh, they make all kinds of noise. Uh, they poop on things. I don't like them, Lucas. I don't like birds at all. Bird up. So I'll tell you what. I'm not. I don't harbor any hatred to birds as a concept, but I don't think they make very good pets. I think it's sad to see them in the cage. It just is. It's something that. Uh, inside me, I'm like that doesn't look quite right. They have bir- they have wings. They're meant to fly around. It doesn't <clears throat> seem right for them to be in a cage. Hmm. And I also think they're very annoying pets because they they squawk all the time. And I don't find yeah. and mm-hmm. people say, well, you know, dogs bark, but I, I just I don't find the noise they make when they're caged up pleasant. That being said, I don't think I. Uh, have the same feelings to birds as a whole that you do. But. Say, what, say what you will about dogs, but at least they have a bigger brain and they're able to be like, when you when you train them to stop barking, they generally will. Birds, they're stupid. And I, stupid birds, stupid. So, okay, yes, I'm going into this episode with a bird bias, but that's not the reason why I don't like this episode and I don't think that's a spoiler. Uh, here's a question I have. Did DW get Spanky before Arthur got Pal? Because think... Pal and Spanky don't interact. The, uh, and it's interesting that you point that out. I don't think so. I think Spanky is post-Pal. You would think so because if I would imagine the the logic would be that well, Arthur's the older sibling, and he got a pet, so now DW gets the pet. Exactly. I just didn't see Pal in any of this. And you would think that Pal and a bird would have run-ins. <laughs> it's almost as if— Well, Spanky doesn't seem to leave his cage too often. You know what? It's like a, it, This is like a Doctor Who episode, because everybody's memory has been tampered with with false memories of <laughs> Spanky in their lives, when really it was just some kind of automaton from another dimension— that was trying to infiltrate and destroy the Reed family. My goodness. So we get into it. Okay, so you want to know one of the reasons why I'm so mad? So the, the episode starts. Spanky's not feeling well. DW leaves the room, and he dies. I counted it. Spanky is alive for a minute and 12 seconds of this entire series. Whoa. Like, Does, it, does this ghost come back? He's like, no. The ghost of Spanky? Well, you know DW. what? You know what? I can't say because I haven't watched season. Turn off. Turn 18. off your. Yeah. It, apparently, late seasons of Arthur get pretty wild. It's like those late seasons of Transformers with Starscream's ghost. Spanky comes back. It's wild. But I'm te- But I'm telling. But I'm telling you. That was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, Spanky doesn't last as long as like a Carmine in Gears of War. If you've ever played Gears of War, like the Carmine characters all die, and they last longer than him. Or insert. You know, red shirts. I've watched actual Star Trek episodes where red shirts are alive for like 10 to 20 minutes. Spanky is alive for a minute 12, my dude. I uh, I did have the, like if Arthur was if this series was airing for the first time today, I was picturing the AV Club article headlines in my mind like you think Walking Dead's got a high death count. Check out Arthur Reed. You know what I mean? Yeah. DW's. Brings Spanky to her dad and says that he won't wake up. And he's then making macaroons. Yeah, yeah, actually, he's making a couple things in this episode. And then Dad, with the easiest and breeziest cover girl way to explain death to a young child ever. Oh, um, I think he's dead, honey. <laughs> they really don't beat around the bush. Not at all. Which I actually, which I actually appreciate. It is a part of life, and really, if I get and it's. He kind of had the look on his face of, well, this is the this is her time to learn. 
and, and to which to which she says, "When is he going to stop being dead? He needs to drink his tea." And then Arthur bursts through the door and yells, "Is something dead?" With all the the subtle uh, attitude of an eight year old, uh, so they go to bury Spanky. And I gotta say, for a non character, for a non issue in this entire series, Spanky's death hits the reeds hard. They have some real memories of him, implanted memories of him. <laughs> you know, he's talking. Dad's talking about when Spanky flew in his kitchen, and Mom says Spanky's beautiful song. And Arthur has a couple of memories, and of course, D.W. is. Busted up about the whole. I thing. will tell you this though. I, I uh, removed God, from all funny. the other stuff. I do like this scene because even though we as an audience don't have the same connection to Spanky as the Reed family, uh, their antidotes are well done because sure. it's not just overwhelmingly positive. That would ring even more false than this whole thing already does. But like uh, Arthur's dad's story is a great story. Like Spanky busts into his kitchen. It's a bird. He could go ham on all those seeds. Uh, and he doesn't, and so it's like that's a that's a, a interesting a benevolent act, surely. Yeah, and then uh, Arthur says uh, he goes, "Gee, Spanky, I'm sorry I told you to shut up so much," <laughs> which is it's a good line. It's no. cute. It's not super dour. He ain't sorry at all. He meant it. <laughs> he meant it. He Ooh. also says, "Sorry, yeah. this is another great Arthur character moment. This fits with Arthur's character so well." He says, "I'm sorry I got mad at you. I was just pretending to be angry." Because Buster was there, which, like, that's such an Arthur move. No, he wasn't. Oh, you, so you think he's lying to the ghost no, of Spanky? I, I, I guarantee he's making that up. I guarantee he was mad as hell. Whenever. Well, I, I think Arthur was just um, fainting in anger. Well, it's, but. No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> Spanky, like, stole his bionic bunny, or he, like, ripped the pages out of his bionic bunny coloring book. I'd be mad. Arthur was mad, man. He's just covering it up. He's just trying to he's trying to not speak ill of the dead. That's that bird bias talking well. It may be. Like <laughs> trigger warning bird bias. DW encounters the other animal pal which will oh, become such a fixture of the show. Uh this toad that crawled into the can of flowers that she left out for Spanky and kind of won't leave her alone. Just kind of keeps hopping over to her. He's defiles Spanky's grave. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Arthur has a good line here. Uh, don't be sad, DW. You'll see. There'll be more fish in the sea or birds in the air. <laughs> yeah. Nice save, Arthur. Yeah, good one. As Arthur's uh, pulling DW away, or I think it's her parents are taking DW away, she gives the toad this great glare. No, it's it's as they're going over to the pet store. Yeah, but yeah absolutely. She's not she's not having it. And the toad, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll say this. The toad, much like Pal, maybe not to the same level, has a similarly expressive face because the toad has to yep. convey the – it doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another our animal in the Arthur universe that is not bipedal. So the toad assumingly has the intelligence of a real toad, uh, but he still kind of gawks at the camera and DW a little bit. Yeah. Uh, He's a mischievous one, that Yeah, toad. absolutely. I think that's something consistent is that they're very good at uh, drawing expressive animals. So agreed. I didn't actually have that down here, but you're right. Uh, Arthur takes her to the pet store. Like, shows her a, the exact same breed of bird as Spanky, but she's not really having it. Uh, shows her a hamster, and I like this one. Uh, DW asks, does it sing? And Arthur says, no. That's what's so cool about it. <laughs> Which, yeah, I agree with Arthur on that one. Hamster, greater than sign to whatever Spanky totally. was. Hamsters, hamsters are totally cute. Uh, 
and then they uh, kind of cut away as they are going to try and check out the boa constrictor that eats bird eggs whole. Yeah, DW says, don't even say anything. Don't even think about uh, it. There was also a parrot. And at first, DW kind of seems into the parrot. But then uh, Arthur's like, see, this parrot's not like Spanky at all. It'll help you forget Spanky. And then the parrot's like, Spanky! 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 <laughs> DW, back at Spanky's grave, again encounters the toad. And she's really like, tears him a new one as he as he keeps trying to get into the into the can. And then decides to hop into DW's backpack as she gets into as she goes to school. Man, they really expect me to care about this toad, and I do not. I, I don't like. This is where the bird bias is kind of leaving the episode, and I'm just kind of I'm sitting I'm sitting there just watching this episode, being like, I I I dare you to make me care. I dare you, and they're not they're not pulling the trigger here. It's not happening. I'll. I'll I'll give you my toad thoughts once we get to the end. All right, all right. All right. Um, because uh, my comments on the toad are, are pretty much, it, it colors my opinion of the whole episode. I'll tell you, the, I'll say this. I think the toad's cute. Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 like, that, that's, I like Mr. Toad. That seemed apparent. Uh, so at school, uh, she's about to be uh, Billy and Bobby. So is this the first time we see DW at school in her preschool class? Because it's the first time I can yes. remember. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and we get introduced to some regulars here, like DW's teacher. Miss mm-hmm. um, Morgan. Miss Morgan. Uh, we don't get to see the extended preschool class yet. No, but we kind of uh, see the familiar faces, yeah. including Billy and Bobby, who are never really characters at all from the episodes that I watched. And they basically are the counterfeit tibbles in this uh mm. which which I was really just like why don't why not just use the tibbles like why trying not? to keep the tibbles strong man <laughs> they don't want the tibbles to be made fools of like Billy and Bobby get here <laughs> they do they do get messed with like I was gonna say uh my my note was uh maybe the tibbles had like troubles in contract negotiations or something <laughs> and then and then they put Billy and Bobby in the scene was just like see we can replace you at any time <laughs> uh by the way Go and check out our Facebook. I found visual proof in uh, a Value Village store that the Tibbles are indeed humans in the Arthur story uh, universe. That's some crazy ish, man. It's almost like that Berenstein Berenstain thing. Oh man, maybe we all forgot that the Tibbles were people. The I could whole have, time. I could have sworn that it was S T E I N. I could have sworn. <laughs> Billy uh, and Bobby, they try to put that bug. Yeah, they try to put the spider in her backpack. Sorry, and then the toad. Kind of eats it, and then they run away. Banjo-Kazooie style. Yeah. Uh, DW brings Spanky's things for show and tell, and then the toad shows up in them, like kind of floats down on like one of Spanky's parasols. Yeah, so this makes no sense from a physics perspective. No kidding. It's like this cocktail umbrella. Yeah. uh, And somehow this toad's mass is light enough that it can gently float to the ground as if it was a parachute. Uh, It's a fun set piece. Toad kind of hops around and then finally settles on DW's shoulder. And one of the kids asks, how do you get him to stay on your shoulder like that? And she says, easy. I just tell him to get lost. (laughs) Uh, So mom picks her up from work to walk home. Mom's work. Work uniform, very nice. Well, she is very she, dapper, isn't she? A uh, she works in taxes or something, right? Yeah, yeah. some sort of taxation. Um, now, the toad follows them home, and you said that it kind of has the kind of logic of a toad, but here it's proven that he is very smart. Yeah, it's sort of that, that because DW drops uh it's like a coin her, purse. Her coin purse, her plastic coin purse into the drain by accident. The toad goes in the drain and then picks it up for her, 
gets out the next dream and gives it back to her. And DW addresses him almost as an equal. She says, how did you get my purse? You know pickpocketing is against the law. <laughs> he knows pickpocketing is against sort the law. Sort of that magical realism where it's like, right. Pal, of course, figured out that Kate wanted a balloon and then went on an adventure to get the balloon. So I guess it's not that far outside the realm of possibility that the toad would. And hey, this is the one toad power he has, right? What other animal would get into a drain and then hop out? The toad would. Sure. So one know. one little tidbit while they're walking. This tiny detail. Um, D, the reason DW is distracted that her purse falls out is because she's telling her mom this story about uh, her day at preschool, and she talks about how there's a kid who um, ate an avocado sandwich for lunch because they were a vegetarian. Vegetable terian. Uh, right. She says it wrong. She says a vegetable terian. And DW describes avocado as tasting like broccoli pudding, which is hilarious because that's exactly what avocado tastes like. But I also thought this was kind of strange because, you know, avocado as a topping has sort of become the hip thing in 2016. Very. The joke is white people, they love that avocado. Mm -hmm. You got to ask for extra. uh, You got to pay extra at Chipotle. Uh, uh, to get that avocado, that sweet, sweet avocado. So I thought it was kind of a fun relic, like, oh, people still put avocado on stuff back in the 90s, I guess. Oh, yeah, well, obviously it had been invented by then, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of avocado. I kind of I miss that part, actually. It's like the kale craze. Yeah. Everybody was crazy about kale. Now they're all on those, those superfoods. Mm. Back at home, DW's being tucked into bed, and, you know, she kind of asks the kid question of, like, if I always put away my socks and, like, if I always – do this and do that, will Spanky come back? And Dad kind of, again, to his credit, gives her a very real answer of no, but you have so many great memories of Spanky. Whenever you miss him, you can just think of one of those, and you'll feel less lonely. Great framing in this shot, too, because over DW's dad's shoulder, you could see Spanky's empty birdcage. This is my next note. Take the birdcage down. <laughs> what is it doing there? It's just giving her... All of these terrible memories, and plus it's a birdcage. Clean it out and huck it. If you're not getting a new bird, which they're not, they barely had this old one. Hey, if, for nothing, if nothing else, it made for good framing. I guess. <laughs> I guess. So she starts thinking of a memory of Spanky, and then the toad uh, shows up in uh, the birdcage, and then she, DW... Has enough. That's all she can stand. And Again, try. defiling Spanky's memory for the second time. For sure. Really not invited. DW tries to catch him to do some ser- put the beating on him. An instance of the classic cartoon closet gag where they both go into the closet. The toad comes out like with one of those pairs of mittens that's kind of attached with a string. DW comes out with a golf club and a Tam O'Shanter hat. <laughs> and a scarf. Right, the uh, scarf too. It <laughs> uh, just kind of like. This is like, whoa, who's keeping all this stuff in DW's closet? <laughs> Dad keeping the golf clubs in there? Like, I don't see the point. DW goes to bed before she can find him and then kind of spends the next morning looking around for him, the toad. And as she looks for him, she realizes that she kind of misses him. For what reason? I'm sure. I don't know. As she eventually goes downstairs to mom in the laundry room who is doing the, who's washing DW's clothes, and she believes that... He's still in the, her clothes pile. Okay, so whether you're emotionally invested in the toad at this point or not, sure. the idea of a toad being destroyed in a washing machine Ugh. is horrible. 
cool. It's not worth thinking about. So not only is this episode like, like I, centered I just, around death and overcome, like learning to deal with that as a kid, but also this is the first of two instances here of implied toad destruction in I, this episode. You know, even as a kid, I I didn't believe that the toad was in there. Of so. course not. But it did put the image in my head of, oh my god, what if the toad was oh, in there? Gross. That'd be, that'd no. be some rowdy okay, business. No, let's, no, let's get out of that. That's really gross. And that's not even the worst thing that could possibly happen to the toad in this episode. No. The, the, soon you're going to be wishing that toad got destroyed in the washing machine. At least, then because... it's, at least then it's confined to one area. Yeah, alright. Uh, anyway. <laughs> DW kind of breaks down thinking that the toad was in there and then eventually toad comes out of nowhere and she tries to chase after it to kind of apologize to it and kind of make up uh at one point we go over to arthur who kind of has like a block castle castle made of blocks he's playing with like knight action figures and arthur's night game sounds really boring whatever he's playing because he's like he's like evil lord karnak you'll never catch us now we're safe within the castle and i'm saying to arthur like where's the conflict man why should i be interested in your story you're safe within the castle great now what book from there i think my my favorite arthur character moments is are like when he appears in other people's episodes okay like i love it when arthur's just like a little side character that has like one vignette because uh, we get to see the goofier side of Arthur's personality. It's not just him worrying about stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, here's Arthur's like little Lego Kingdom game, I guess. Yeah. Who's this Lord Karnak? I want to know more about him. I Original character, do not steal. <laughs> DW chases the toad outside and is about to go into their neighbor, Mr. Sipple's yard, where he's doing the lawn mowing. Another first. We get to see Mr. Sipple for, I think, the first time. Yes. And, man, this is a great prototypical neighbor outfit. He's wearing a wife beater and a bucket hat, (laughs) mowing the lawn in these hideous striped shorts. It is the wee-hee-hee-kend. <laughs> I, I love Mr. Simple already. This is one of those cases where you take one look at a character, you could tell everything you need to know about them, and I'm like, damn, Mr. Simple, you work it. You work that bucket hat. <laughs> um, uh, so the toad's about to go into the lawnmower. And yeah, so the toad's about to go into the lawnmower. You thought the washing machine was bad. I don't even want to think about it. Like, I never before this episode had I considered, oh, what, I wonder what it would be like if a toad got caught in a lawnmower. I really don't think we should stay on this too long. It's inviting very unpleasant <laughs> mental images for us and for our audience. But he stops the uh, lawnmower in time, and DW is uh, overjoyed and is apparently going to take on the toad as her new pet, which her parents agree on. They just need to get a book from the library to find out how to take care of him, which is like which is very 90s. pre-Google. And so it kind of ends of just, maybe you don't sing, but you're pretty cute for a toady wart face. And I'm here like, this thing never shows up again. Yay, we wasted 12 minutes of our time. So I'll tell you what I thought about the toad and this whole thing. Go ahead. This episode... From the outset, you could tell the writers were like, okay, we're going to have an episode about what's it like to deal with death as a kid. Mm. Uh, Here's the inherent problem with trying to tackle that subject matter. They're not going to kill off one of the Arthur mainstays. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, even if it's like a side character, like, they're not going to kill off Mrs. McGrady. It's just too dark. So, 
What did they do? And well, they totally, and totally could if they wanted to. I, I mean, I guess, but Mrs. But Mrs. McGrady does show up in later episodes. But that, but at it, the, it, but at the time, though, yeah, like, it, it's a unique problem because they did have choices and they decide to go with possibly, uh, you could say, the laziest choice. Where why don't we introduce this new character never before seen and then boom, blast them within the first a minute, <laughs> minute uh, of the new episode. Twelve seconds. Yeah. So that is clunky. And I also think that their solution to the problem of, okay, what is the moral of this episode? It's when someone dies, don't obsess over their death. You can mourn, but also moving moving on and remembering them is an important part of that whole process. No, no, Lucas, it's okay. Just get a new one. Just get a new one there. There, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Shh, 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 It's okay. I do think that that's a problem because they do kind of wrap it up in a bow too perfect, especially yeah. because they don't bring up the toad ever again. It's like everything's back to normal. Except, except, except in the Arthur title card where DW and Arthur are chasing frog, who's ch- chasing pal who's chasing the frog. But that, that's it, and I'm to understand. I think the frog shows up again in like season, bleh, but whenever. I, I I do think that like I I don't necessarily think the message is like replace your dead friend. I think the message is it's imp- moving on is an important part of the process. No, I'm not. Process. No, not necessarily. I'm just saying that that yeah. is kind of what they implicitly communicate. That's and that's true. But I also I'll say this to to close out the uh, this episode. I think I like this episode more removed from the context of the rest of Arthur. And what I mean by that is without the knowledge, like if I didn't know that the Toad never showed up again, I would like this episode a lot more. Because if you think of this episode as the introduction, as the Toad as a character, I think it's similar to some of the Pal episodes where I, uh, me personally, I like the Toad. I think some of his antics are hilarious. That umbrella Boy, was that umbrella wacky. Uh, and I, I, I think he's kind of a cute guy. It's an odd pet. Like the parents say, they don't even know how to care for a toad, right. which I think you might get salmonella if you try to take a po- toad yeah. as a pet. They, get, they keep him awfully close to their face a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, he's balancing on the shoulder, which is and very this, and impressive. This, and, this, and this is a dirty street toad. This is not like a... Uh, toad you get from a breeder. But I think this this episode's biggest weakness is when it's taken in the context of the rest of the Arthur show, which of course it has to be because that's what it's a part of. Mm-hmm. But I think standing on its own, removed from the implications for the rest of the series, I don't think I dislike this episode as much as you did. I say f this episode, <laughs> and I'll give I'll, I'll but I'll I'll give a little bit of further in depth near the end of our episode. Moving on, uh, no. Uh, an L word from us kids this week that I was able to find. Yeah, me neither. All right. I wonder what they talked about. We're going to talk about my dead grandma. Yeah, my grandma's dead, but I'm okay. We're in this classroom. I'm actually kind of curious. I might look it up I, later. I bet it was more focused on this next episode we're going to talk about. Buster's new friend. Arthur once again Ferris Buellering for us, giving history behind the objects in his room, which all seem to be tied to experiences with Buster. So there's a red softball, which was which was red, because it was it used to be white, but they threw it into like a paint tray when they got. He frames it as like that time Buster and I got chased by that house painter, <laughs> and it, like literally them accidentally throwing it into a paint bucket gets on the guy's face, and he like chases after them with his paint roller. And then there's this awesome transition where like the paint roller like paints over yeah it paints into over the next to, scene no to get to to get to that scene. Um, then the bionic bunny poster in his room, which was signed by. 
Bionic Bunny himself in person. This joke is so funny because it's just a it's a purely visual it's, joke. It's it's like a it's like a Simpsons gag. It really is. And I mean that in terms of like quality and like visual uh, v- just visuals. Cuz Buster and Arthur think this is the Bionic Bunny. Yes. But it's abundantly clear to us the audience that this guy's totally out of shape. Just some jamoke. But even funnier is that so he's eating this hot dog, he's out of shape, he's signing it with signing this picture of Bionic Bunny with one hand. With the, uh, the hand that doesn't have a hot he's dog. He's wearing ice skates. This is the Bionic Bunny is he? from the Bionic Bunny on, on ice, ice production. How though? But But he's, he's but he's wearing ice skates on the sidewalk outside. But he's got like a noticeable gut. How is he like that? <laughs> That, that bionic bunny on an ice show must suck. <laughs> but that's, like, that's crazy. I didn't notice that's that. That's what makes it even funnier. Like, not only is this guy like a poor bionic bunny impersonator, Arthur and Buster would have went to Bionic Buddy on Ice, and they were like, "We got to get backstage, get Bionic Buddy's autograph." Well, it seemed like a couple other kids were doing it, so they probably had like an opportunity for it at the time. Yeah, but it's just like this dude wearing this schlubby dude wearing ice skates on pavement outside, he's got eating a, this chili dog. He's got a great tease, like. Like I wish I, I wish I could fake burp, but he's like he burps. He's like, don't mention it. Like a real teamster boys. It is funny. And then finally, Arthur displays a magnet that almost spelled the end of his and Buster's friendship forever. Which another is the, episode. If the stakes is, of the first episode were death, another one with high stakes. The, the end of a friendship. The hook of the hook of the episode. So Arthur's about to watch Bionic Bunny, and he's invited Buster over, and then they're going to work on their project afterwards. Which is uh, he has like a magnet with him. He's kind of explaining to DW what his plan is. Uh, I like as Bionic Bunny kind of starts, and as it gets going, DW kind of sowing the seeds of doubt. Into, into Arthur's mind, Arthur being, like, really defensive. So she's like, like, maybe Buster forgot. And he's like, he'll be here. <laughs> like, he's really like, oh, don't worry. He'll be here. He's he's on his way. I'm sure he's just running a little late. And then it's it's like an hour-long episode of Bionic Bunny, and it's over like that. And Buster doesn't show up. I did a couple things about the Bionic Bunny cartoon, which Bionic Bunny obviously modeled after Superman. Uh, the hook of the Bionic Bunny episode is him... Uh, straddling a missile, trying to, <laughs> trying to like pull it down to earth or something. Like I'm not sure what he's trying to accomplish. And he has a great line of "must stop missile." <laughs> it, it's 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 some real uh, Bucky from Captain America type stuff. Yeah, huh. or he, but like it's I, it's corny in the way that like that early uh, Batman show is. Like you could tell yes. it's yeah. not. It doesn't take itself very seriously. Um, yeah, like uh, like the one from uh, DW, the copycat of just like the room's filling with water. I'll drown unless I drink it all. <laughs> and I have to assume the rest of the hour of Bionic Bunny was him drinking a room of water. They really nailed that like hokey golden age vibe with Bionic. Yeah, Bunny. no, I, I really I really dig it. And then at the end uh, of the episode of Bionic Bunny, it's he's being thanked by like Bionic Bunny or it's the. He's being thanked by the president, who is Southern, which I'm guessing is at least a vocal invocation of Bill Clinton, who would have been president at the time. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of thought it was Bill Clinton like, as well. Like, like, thank you for saving us, Bionic Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, I think that's a little bit of Bush on my part. And then the underwritten female character who is the Lois Lane type of just like, but who are you really? And this, and then he flies away, and she's like. Uh, so he's just, so dreamy. She yeah, says. no, she says he's so cute. Yeah, she says it the second time when they missed yeah. the other episode of Bionic Bunny. Uh, so Arthur wonders where Buster could have gone to, so he calls 
uh, Bitsy, his Buster's mother, at the newspaper that she works for. I think this is where we find out she works for the newspaper. Five 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 one two one two is the number. Very good. Uh, let us know if you dial that. That um, won't go to anything. It's a five 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 number. So what's it, do we know what area code five 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 is? No. So in movies and TV shows, uh, so it, it doesn't actually include the area code. Mm-hmm. So in movies and TV shows, oh, actually, no, yeah, that is the so in movies and TV shows, oh, the no, number's I, always five 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 because it's not a real area code, right? And it wouldn't be the area code because I'm thinking of right now in 2016, will we have to use the area code to dial out? Yeah, but they but they obviously did. But also, okay. so but movies and TV shows always use the number five 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 because they're. There's no numbers that have that in it. So okay. when they're lazy and they don't want people to um, like dial a real number yes. or take a real number, they put 555 into the thing. There's a great supercut on YouTube of like every time in a movie where someone goes, all right, the number is 555. Like there's a uh, it's like 20 minutes long or something. Oh, wow. I'm never going to be able to unsee that. So Arthur gives her a call and then we cut to Bitsy, who's listening to his call. And she immediately goes, what? Buster missing? But I just spoke with him. And so my question is, of course, we know that Bitsy is a little bit of a helicopter parent. But in this case, it's not her that leaves that conclusion. I think Arthur led with, hey, yo, Buster's missing. Which is kind of like I would I would kind of expect him to lead to that conclusion at this point because he's like, well, Buster didn't show up. He must be missing. That's the only way to explain it. Do you know what Bitsy reminds me of? Who's that? Winona Ryder and Stranger Things. <laughs> He's here. I know it. I know it. He's in the walls. (laughs) I like it. I like it. I wish she would have They kind of dress the same, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, (laughs) Not bad. Uh, So the next day at school, Arthur kind of talks to Buster. And I like like this little slip because, of course, I've talked a lot about, and we both have, about Arthur's kind of anxiety about a lot of things. He's got a lot of hang-ups. And so, really... He wondered where Buster was because he because he missed him, and he almost let that slip because he says, "Where were you last night? I missed you. You missed Bionic Bunny." <laughs> I'm like, ah. Now we see where Arthur's uh, Arthur's heart really lies, and Buster says that he was busy with his friend Mike, his new friend Mike, his new friend Mike. They were mini golfing, and apparently Mike is an amazing mini golfer. And after Buster tells him this, Arthur has a little bit of a uh, an imagination aside of Buster and Mike going to the mini golf course and I love it cuz it's like it's like a, out of an 80s Tom Cruise video. It's like it's like risky business or something. It's like Buster and Mike with their monogrammed bikes. Oh yeah. Like taking taking them to the mini golf course. People are just like looking at him like it's like it's Buster and Mike. Oh my, oh my <laughs> god, it's Buster and Mike. And then Arthur's kind of like like leaning against the uh, the registration place, and then Mike kind of gives him the wave over, and Arthur's like. It's, it's it's like something a swingers. It makes sense that Arthur pictures Mike like this though, because Buster describes Mike as the best mini golfer anyone's ever seen, and. He's got lots of cool CDs. Yeah, it's a cool guy, man. That's a that's a that's a cool as, Hora- a, as the other side of the pillow. Horatio, cool guy over here. That's right. He's very Fonzie s. So Arthur invites Buster and Mike over to work on their project because Buster says we should work on a project. The three of us. I bet Mike knows a lot about magnets, which is very open minded of uh, Arthur. I really liked Arthur in this episode because even though he's sort of wrought with anxiety about this whole Mike thing, like oh my goodness, it was like you. Kind of get the vibe like, is Mike going to replace me as a friend? But 
Arthur approaches the situation in the best way possible. He's like, all right, let's, let's get Mike in on this. It's it's his um his leaps in logic a little bit kind of aren't without reason later in the episode. Like mm. it's kind of setting this up here because uh so Arthur invites him over, like he gets he even gets like a snack tray from his mom and he gets everything ready and then like an hour or something goes by and they don't show up and Arthur's kind of just by his lonesome, he's already eaten the popcorn, drunk the Kool-Aid, and he's kind of doing the project by himself. He's trying to do it mostly by himself, and then they just never showed up. And he just kind of says to his mom, I guess they must have forgotten. Buster and Mike, flake. Not cool. Oh, yeah. Way, way, way uncool. Like, especially because this isn't just like hanging out. They're going to work on their group project yes and later on in this episode this makes arthur real real upset but for good reason like if you can't make it just call like they straight up stand arthur up it's yeah. really sad we'll get it. arthur like there's a the bowl of popcorn as arthur's getting ready to work on the project that his mom made him and then you see after the hour goes by it's empty because yeah, totally arthur empty. ate it all himself yeah and so we'll get into this a little bit. I don't want to show my hand on this right now, but that's absolutely what happens. Uh, but uh, Arthur has a great line here that leads into an imagination. He's just like, yeah, bet they forgot. <laughs> like he just mutters it. And then so he, in his imagination, so first of all, Mike in Arthur's imagination is their age. And he looks to be like an aardvark or similar t- type animal, You know, same rounded ears, kind of pale skin. And he's got like, Orange hair, like red hair. Which is, it, it stood out to me because I can't think of many other background Arthur characters with that shade of hair. It's yeah. very strange looking it's very, too because it, it's, it's like a, it's almost like a mullet. It's a strange haircut. Um, I think it's kind of almost a typical haircut. It looks almost a little like, a little slicked maybe. Yeah, yeah, which yeah is that's what I'm thinking. Which of. I think is kind of to project that kind of cool guy image that Buster uh, did of Mike. And then in this one, Mike talks for a little bit. You never see his face. But I found it interesting because Mike has Arthur's voice. Yeah, it's very uh, obvious that it's like Mike doing – it's Arthur doing like an evil voice. Yes. Uh, and I wonder if that was either like they didn't want to hire someone else to do that voice or like in that scene they're like, well, this is Arthur's imagination. He's going to be the stand-in I, for I Mike. think that's definitely it. And I yeah. actually think it makes sense because like in your head – you don't have a voice to ascribe, so usually it's like a voice or something you recognize, and Arthur knows his own voice. And I also think it's kind of clever of just like he's pro- like he's projecting this this you know ama- image of this amazing kid that Buster's friends with now that to the point where he ignores Arthur, so he's trying to project a little bit of himself onto there mm. to maybe not make himself feel so bad. I, I actually really like that touch. The next day, Arthur's with Francine, Muffy, and Brain in the lunchroom, and they're talking about. Separate instances in which Buster flaked on them in recent memory to hang out with Mike. Uh, Francine's – do you remember what Francine's is? Yeah, she starts it off with this, like, kickball game. Right. Or it's a – it's either baseball or kickball, but Buster was supposed to play catcher. Yeah, I feel, like but he nev- I, feel, I feel like it's baseball. But he never shows up, so, like, the ball just goes through because there's no catcher. Right. Uh, and we also sp- – <laughs> we spy Frank. Uh, or we dubbed him Frank in oh, this Frank. scene. Oh, Frank, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, the gray bunny that has no name, we called him Frank after the Donnie Darko bunny, and he's in the background in this uh, baseball game. Thank you to listener Jenna for na- for uh, suggesting the name Frank. I believe that was Jenna. Yeah. Okay. Then Muffy asked him to help her pick out a new bike because Buster's apparently you know, uh, a whiz with bikes or something. But then she couldn't decide which one to get, so she just had to buy them all. Yeah, Buster never showed up, so she had to buy them all. Hmm. 
What a calamity. And then my favorite one is Brains. Oh, I love this too. This is so crazy. I figured you would. So Brain (laughs) was going to play an online game with Buster. Space Fighter 9. Space Fighter 9. He was scheduled to dial into the Brain's computer at 5 o'clock, but he never did. Oh, my God. So I am just young enough that I never played online multiplayer games with people. Like, really, I don't play them a lot as it is. But when I did, we're talking mid to late 2000s. I didn't get into it until, you know, when it was way easy. When we're talking about dial-up, forget about it. I don't even know. So you dialing into his computer. So awesome. I kept thinking about, like, oh, man, like, this means brains, like, Brain's totally like, all right, Buster, log on right now. 1v1 in Quake, Rocket Arena. Let's go. Let's go. My ping's terrible. It's like <laughs> this, ping, this yes. thing is going 10 frames a second. Mom, do not pick up the phone. You're going to ruin everything. I got a mad kill streak going. Jibs for days. It's the jib. Could you, like, I have all these, like, Brain's totally, like, on these forums, he's downloading texture packs for Quake 1. <laughs> Look, my Quake guy looks like Bart Simpson. So cool. I love this. Like, you don't hear about dial-up ever, let alone in normal TV, but kids' television shows. Right. Uh, it's and such a relic of the time, but it's totally, like, yeah. I remember dialing up the internet. And actually, you reminded me, my first online multiplayer experience was with the demo of Quake 3 Arena. Welcome to Quake 3 Arena. Yeah. that's That's the... Quake, the Quake series is the, when I hear dial-up, that's the, the yeah. first thing that pops yeah. into my brain. That is, like, the advent of online multiplayer. So, like, picturing Brain is so the type of dude who would be like, I'm going to log on to Quake with my dial-up internet. Like, and, it makes total sense. And it's so funny because the, they even, Muffy, Muffy's just like, so? And... <laughs> Which, to be fair, it's like, for kids watching the show, I guarantee you 95% of them haven't dialed into their friend's computer. And so Brain has to clarify, it's a lot less fun when you play on your own. Which is true. It is. Quake's best in multiplayer. Well, yeah, if it's a multiplayer-based game, then it really is a lot less fun. Some of those games don't even have a single player. Like, if you're trying to play... Yeah, Quake 3 doesn't. Well, even nowadays, like, you're trying to play Overwatch. Like, if you're not playing with other people... Not even in your friends, but, like, you need other people Mm. in the world playing Overwatch to play it. Uh, I love Overwatch, by the way. Great game. Uh, so they decide that they something needs to be done about this, so they give him the silent treatment. It's very 12 Angry Men. They're like, we need to do something about this. And so as a committee, they all decide that Arthur's punishment for his transgressions will be the silent treatment. And I, I forget who says it, but somebody's like, I don't know, the silent treatment's a little harsh. Yeah, it's Francine, and she kind of leaves it to Arthur to be, it's like, silent treatment's pretty harsh. Arthur? And it's yeah, like, it, it's it's like, very matter of fact. It's like, the, it's like the McLaughlin Group. It's like PBS is the McLaughlin Group. It's just like <laughs> it's like can we get a ruling on this? And the council like, has spoken. It's like Buster, Buster needs to feel like what it's like to be ignored. And it's just like all right, really going hard. And so Buster sits down, and all he does is is talk. Like he ne- he doesn't he never stops talking. He's just eating and talking at the same time. <laughs> Nobody else is talking, but he's just kind of fueling the conversation uh, by himself. And. Then and then he ends up leaving because he's done his food and he's just gonna go get more. And Francine, I I think uh, I think she actually meant this, which makes it more funny. She's like, "Well, sure showed him." <laughs> and then a minor catchphrase here that I know has been used before, actually in another Buster centric episode, uh, Buster makes the grade, and it's kind of a minor catchphrase for situations like these in Arthur, uh, because Arthur says, "I think we need to take drastic action." <laughs> 
Yeah, it's sort of Arthur's version of, I think I, I have a bad feeling about this. Right. Like in Star Wars, that shows up all the time. Um, so drastic action is a little bit of something that shows up. Uh, and, and most likely the place where I learned what the word drastic means. Yeah, this leads to uh, imaginary thing with Arthur where he's kind of going over what, in his mind, he believes his project is, where he has this kind of big magnet that's a, almost roughly the size of him, maybe a little bit shorter. And he uses it in the gymnasium to demonstrate the pull of the magnet. And, I mean, first of all, magnets of size, I, I, I don't think they exist, especially not at consumer grade. So Definitely not consumer grade, but there is definitely industrial oh, sure, magnets, sure, I sure, think. Sure, yeah. But uh, And then so Buster, clad in a suit of armor, gets pulled to the magnet, and that's kind of Arthur's big trump card. And then all of a sudden— It's it's a little morbid, too, at this point. It, it, I, he's I using mean, Buster's This is a little dummy. bit of an exaggeration, yeah. but it's almost like a Saw Trap-esque. Mm. The, way, the way this goes, like— Buster seems like he's injured by flying, like he's in this suit of armor. This magnet sucks him in, and you can tell, like, and he goes this upside is, down. This is not like a fun, like, look at our wacky giant magnet project. Like, Buster seems like he did not sign up for this level of uh, uh, physical involvement. I think the saw trap is a little bit of an exaggeration, uh, just, just, just a little bit, but it, there's definitely a bit of malice in there uh, now with Arthur having him clad like a full suit of armor. Then out of nowhere, Mike shows up with a enormous magnet that is taller than him and is as thick as bricks. And so he has the giant magnet now, which has more power, and he attracts Buster away from Arthur's magnet to his, which is a fitting metaphor uh, interesting use of the magnet as a symbol of Arthur's anxiety. And then Mike says uh, the magnets repel each other, and he pushes his closer to Arthur, and it just pushes Arthur all the way, because he's at, like, the half-point line all the way into the net. Yeah, Steph Curry all day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the whole magnet thing is, of course, they're both trying to attract Buster, Mike, and Arthur. At least in Arthur's mind, they are. And then he's subsequently repelled away by Mike, who's apparently a lot more attractive in uh, like the magnet sense mm-hmm. than, than Buster. <laughs> not, in that, not in that sense. So this is the point where we get to, like, Buster kind of sits down in class. Another and Frank it, sighting. Another Frank sighting in ah, the class. Very good. I should, I should take notice of those myself as well. This is where Arthur gets really mad because Buster kind of comes up to him. He's very uh, um, nonchalant about the whole thing. Like, he oblivious, I think is a better word for it. He kind of comes up, he's just like, so what are we doing for our project? And all that sort of stuff. We haven't done much work on it. And then Arthur... He gets real steamed. And so in my memory of this episode, I thought that Arthur was really, like, baselessly jealous. I thought it was just him being like, who's this Mike guy? Like, oh, I'm going to be – like, I thought he leapt to that conclusion on his own. But watching it again, it's really – it's definitely – there's definitely jealousy in there. And, like, that – it's definitely – I think it fuels Arthur's actions a lot, but – a lot of it is Buster being in the wrong. Right. So that's the dissonance here. Like, I, I, my memory of this episode was also like, okay, so this episode's about not being jealous of when there's a new friend or something like that. But really, the the only reason there's any conflict in this episode whatsoever is all Buster's fault. It's not yes. Mike. It's not even Mike or Arthur. The fact that Buster is no-showing these people without giving them as much respect to call them beforehand right. is the cause of all the conflict here. Yes. Like, had Buster shown up to the study date like they planned with Mike, Arthur wouldn't care. Or Arthur would be like, Mike's a great, like, who cares? Like, we're doing the project. Or even called to cancel. 
Yeah, it's just straight up like Buster not standing people up is the only source of conflict here. You know what? And the way this episode ends, it's another version of if Buster had just explained himself from the beginning, yeah. this would be a little more understandable. But that's the problem is that there is no explanation from Buster. And even if he had said like, oh, I'm hanging out with Mike, he's this he's this guy and he's also my new friend. Like Flaking is still not cool, especially in this way. And Arthur gets very justifiably angry in my book. He's, you know, Buster says, we haven't done much work. And he says, who hasn't done much work? I've done plenty of work while you've been hanging out with Mike. Like, he, he really cuts a promo on him. Well, He's hey, that's, like the pro- that's, the, that's the danger of group projects, right? Yes. We've all been there where we're the one pulling the weight, bunch of slackers feeding off us like those fish that sit on the bellies of sharks and they eat the little kelp that's on them. Remoras. Yeah, I've, I've done a group project like that or two in my day. Thank you. So. Thank you, Magic School Bus, for teaching me what remoras were. And, and uh, like, you shouldn't want to do this, but Arthur gets a primo opportunity to, like, embarrass Buster. And he does. Like, he takes it. And I, be- and I bet in, like, the darkest part of Arthur's mind that felt really good for, like, a minute of just, like, uh, you know, he says, I'll finish the project myself. And then Buster's trying to be like, but no, we have to, it's a group project. We have to do it together. And then wouldn't you know it, Ratburn is looking for. Yeah, they for, have to give a project report. They, so, they have to yeah. give, they have to give like an update on where they are with it. And the first person he chooses is Buster. And Buster's just like, I don't really know what we're doing. And so that gets him in some hot water. But. And this seems really effective too, in a way though, because. Um, up to this point, I was Team Arthur all the way. I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, Arthur totally got stood up, and this is academics we're talking about, not just hanging out. Like, Buster's totally in the wrong. But the way they animate, Buster's, like, ears drooping. Yeah. And the voice work of Buster's voice actor when he's like, oh. Like, Buster seems so upset and distraught that in this moment, even me, who's, like, 100% been on Team Arthur up to this point, was like, Man, like that's kind of sad. Like Buster's really upset here. I will I will agree that this moment like Arthur doing that is pretty cold. I'm not saying it's without reason, but it's definitely like the renegade option of the two of just like let Buster flounder. But you're right and I couldn't I just couldn't help but feel bad for Buster even though he I, was in the wrong. And I think this is supposed to be the turning point of where Buster realizes, "Oh, I think I I think I messed up." Mm. Like I think I really messed up. So back at home, Arthur is doing the breakup clean with Buster. D, like he's kind of throwing stuff into a box. DW asks him what he's doing, and he's throwing out everything that belongs to Buster, reminds me of Buster, or has anything to do with Buster. Like, like I say, really the breakup clean. And uh, for some reason, he has a carrot on the shelf. I don't know why. Like just a spare carrot in case Buster gets hungry. Um, so he has this big box, and he's going to like push it all the way over to Buster's, twelve blocks away or or so. And it's, like, just huge with, like, stereo and CDs and, like, all this kind of junk in it. So Buster kind of is is in the middle of skateboarding over to Arthur's. And he kind of says that he's sorry that he flaked out on the project. And Arthur kind of angrily forgives him. Yeah, he goes, it's okay. Yeah, he really he really yells it, which which I think is just a combination of, like, he's probably pretty tired because he's pushing that box. And he's, like, trying to work through his own feelings, too. And is like... It's okay, but I'm just going to need to work through this for a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's cool, but just let me do this in my own time. So they put the box on uh, Buster's skateboard, and they start walking towards his house. And as they're walking there, they sort of get talking about things Mm -hmm. and become reacquainted. Someone suggests, hey, how about Buster, Arthur, and Mike all hang out together? 
you know, like Arthur did at the very start of the episode. Yeah. I, I noted here that Buster kind of, he apologizes for, he at first starts apologizing for, you know, not pulling his weight in the project. But then he kind of deflects it. And I feel like he only apologizes for half the problem. He's like, because he goes, it's just like, he's just like, look, I'm sorry. But Mike's my buddy, too. And you and I are still best pals. And I'm like, that's only half the problem here. Like, the other problem is you jeopardized their mark on this, and you were really, really inconsiderate. It, it's it's a fact. Like, because I wrote down in quotes here, he says, Mike's my buddy, too. And I'm like, that doesn't ex- – that literally explains nothing. Like, the problem – it's like Arthur has three problems here. That Buster flaked, that he didn't do his work on the project, and that he's ignoring Arthur. Yeah, that's my- all, That solves one. The other two are pretty important. If not more important. Well, I would say, I would go as far as to say that Mike is completely incidental yes. to, like, this entire situation. Yeah, totally. Uh, if you remove Mike from this equation, like, Buster, the main issue is, like, Buster not knowing how to, I guess, deal with people or time management. Like, just completely. When you have a group project, you call if you can't show up or you you organize something better or you show up to your uh, engagements. and. Yeah. That's the main problem. It's Buster. It's all him. Yeah. I related to this because I definitely have friends. You know, we all have our moments of being inconsiderate, and I'm definitely not immune from that. But when I was a kid, and now too, it kind of bothers me when people are are that Buster level of inconsiderate. And it bugged me here too. And I felt like he didn't really apologize for that. So they do eventually make up on the way there, and Arthur's kind of giving him a crash course in magnets. Um and then they do the bionic handshake, which is here. Uh, you want to you want to like test it out? Oh, I wasn't paying a close enough okay, attention. So, okay, it's pretty it's pretty simple. So uh, Luke's and I are doing the bionic handshake right now. Yeah. So all you do is like cross oh. cross your thumbs over. Oh, I'm so white. Okay. So like yeah. we start here, mm-hmm. then you bring it to the other position. Okay. Like kind of along your finger here. Okay. I don't want my thumbs kind of gross right now, so I'm That's, trying not to. No, it's fine. Yeah. So like that, and then back over again, and okay. then back over again, so it's and like then thumb back war. Over, a little, a little bit, and then you kind of speed it up. Oh wow! Okay, so bionic handshake while keeping the handshake. You know what I'm saying? Okay, yeah, I, I can, I can dig, I can dig with the bionic handshake. And then uh, Buster has on a watch that beeps when Bionic Bunny is on. Very cool. That's what? like, uh, um, God, what's it called? There's a uh, Cayman Rider. Common Rider. Common Rider in in Japan, they have all kinds of trinkets and toys that go like along Came, with the show. Cayman Rider is the alligator version. Ha 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 ha! Jokes. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> did you ever have a novelty watch when you were a kid? Absolutely not. I. Oh, dude. When I was a kid, I hated wearing watches. To this day, I don't like wearing watches. I'm not a I'm not a wrist jewelry kind of guy. I don't like wearing watches now either. But when I was a kid, I loved watches. I had a Thomas the Tank Engine watch that like flipped up. To see the time, it was, cool. it was the coolest thing ever, dude. I loved novelty watches when I was a kid. So they watched the episode of Bionic Bunny. Uh, we we kind of get even less plot of this one. It just kind of, thanks for saving our farm, Bionic Bunny. Uh, Buster says, it's like, you should, uh, we should go hang out with Mike. He's bringing his car around. And then Arthur's like, all right, all right. Hold, stop the presses here. I can believe that he's really good at mini golf. That he knows a lot about magnets, all this sort of stuff. Now you're telling me he has a car, and this is where it all comes together. So they go outside to meet Mike, and Mike is clearly at least 16 or probably a little bit older. Um, 
and so 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 we get we get a we get a good tall drink of Mike here. So what, let's let's talk about Mike. Mike is rocking a look here. So what would you call that haircut? I put down a fade question mark, but I don't know if that's a fade. So you could tell the. Let's start from the top, work our way down, because yeah. there's something to be said about every aspect of Mike. Yeah, huh? So he, the sides are shaved, yes, like completely, but the middle isn't spiked like a mohawk. It's flopped down, but it's like if it's like if you shaved in a mohawk and then you didn't spike it up. So it's just kind of like shaved sides, and then he's got a floppy yeah. part in the middle. Yes. He looks like Emilio Estevez in the movie Repo Man. Okay. Like, right. Repo Man's about, like, Emilio Estevez yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. punk. And so Mike's wearing this ripped denim jacket with matching jeans, so he's got a Canadian tuxedo going on. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, that's, I wrote that down here, too, Canadian tuxedo. And the jean jacket with, like, the, the Mr. Sinister collar yeah. a little bit. Uh, and if you look closely at his shoes, he's wearing loafers. Oh, is he? He's wearing slip-on loafers, which is a little... A little weird, and he's to go got with a, that and, he, and he's got a T-shirt on with a long shirt under it, mm-hmm. and he almost very grunge. He almost looks a little bit, yeah. He almost looks a little bit like a Keanu Reeves type, a little bit like a because a young '90s Keanu Reeves. You know what I'm saying? I was thinking more like he's like like my own private Idaho Keanu. Oh, Reeves. okay, that makes sense. He's so like a, real young. He's he's very it's and, like, o- and only a type. Like I'm not saying he yeah, looks yeah, like yeah, Keanu yeah. Reeves, but like that kind of. Youth. His whole shtick is it's it's like Emilio Estevez and Repo Man crossed with Raven in ECW. <laughs> he would need the uh, he'd need the uh, the plaid the, shirt, the, the flannel, yeah. the plaid shirt tied tied. But sure, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Uh, he just needs like an offspring T-shirt or something. Mike is Buster's big brother, which he clarifies as part of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program at the community center. Uh, our uh, Buster says that his mother thinks he needs older male influences. Which is a very adult concept. Uh, I mean, I it's interesting. Like, I don't think kids understand like the psychology of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, at, at when they're at the age that Arthur's intended for. Mm. So I thought it was a really interesting line because, of course, Buster's dad is a pilot. I think his parents are divorced. It's, so this is um, kind of like it's not it's not outrightly said at this point. This is kind of the first hint that Buster doesn't have a male role model in the house because we've only seen his mother with him, but there's no mention of his father at this point. But as we learn later in the in the show, Buster's father is a pilot, and they do get to see each other a fair amount. And uh, I this seems more helicopter parenting to me because like because in the next season, Buster is kind of with his dad, and we ne- much like Spanky, much like the Toad, we never see Mike again. Although I think we do again, I think we see the toad again in season. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, we n- I never hear tell of Mike again. Hmm. I do, but I, again, I thought that line was that that particular line was really interesting. Like my mom says, I need older, older male, male influ- influences. influences. That's just not a concept I would expect kids sure. to understand. But I appreciated it as I appreciated it as an adult uh, seeing Buster's character as a whole. That makes sense. So they drive away with a little bit more of an understanding, and that's the end of the episode. Okay, so. We you you kind of talked already about so long spanky. Uh, d- did you have anything else you wanted to say about that? Episode? I'll let you start and then. Uh... Okay. Um, I really didn't like it, and I know that I was you know playing it up a bit of just like oh this bird kind of shows up out of nowhere. It's just, and this is another instance where I realized that 
the child viewer here is clashing with the adult viewer. And obviously, I might be looking for a bit more from Arthur than maybe I should be. But at the same time, I feel like, because you mentioned the fact that like they had to introduce a character where they could talk about death. But to me, and to be fair, I, I don't think that they totally brushed the subject under the table. Like, I kind of talked earlier in this episode about Six Feet Under. And granted... It is completely unfair to judge Arthur next to six feet under. That's not what I'm doing. But what it never really felt like was a focus on the idea of what death is. And I feel like, and I wish I had examples on me off the top of my head, but I don't. I feel like there are children's programs that talked about death in a much more um, focused way. Like this was kind of, you know, mixing mixing in a heavy subject, admittedly, with... You know, a kind of a, a bit of a wacky Arthur episode. That's which, a really good point. What they were doing was they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. I feel, yeah, I feel like they tried to go both ways with it and kind of ended up halfway in that neither one worked for me. And I also like nothing about this episode worked for me. I didn't. I don't like the toad. I don't like Spanky. A couple of the lines were good. Like and like technically, like it was fine. It's just at the end, I just felt nothing. And I really feel like this is one of the like. like biggest non-reactions I have to an Arthur episode which is like it's really just not not a favorite of mine in any any regard in fact uh okay so I do have an example of you know death being done in uh a children's show and that's perhaps the quintessential one and that's Mr. Hooper from Sesame Street you know what I'm talking about yeah I do know that and that's which you know that's lauded as like one of the greatest episodes of Sesame Street of all time absolutely and it's because in that one, they, you know, you watch it and it is depressing to watch it. It makes you cry. It's really sad. But they kind of have, like, like they kind of, they don't stop the show, but they do kind of take a few minutes to talk about it because it is really important. And I know that that's not, you know, not every show has to do the same thing. But if it's a show about death, I don't feel like I learned anything from it as a kid. And I definitely didn't get anything out of it as an adult. If it's kind of a wacky Arthur episode, that didn't work for me either. Hmm. And like not almost nothing worked for it for me. And I just kind of ended up frustrated with it more than anything. So I think that uh, two things. Yeah. One, I think I had very low expectations going in. Yes. Because you had expressed your displeasure with this episode mm-hmm. beforehand. So I was a little bit. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by. I liked. I. I didn't necessarily dislike the episode. I'm not going to say it's one of okay. my favorites or anything, but um, I do think they were trying to have their cake and eat it too, and I saw the problem in the writer's room, right? They were trying to have a little story about death, except they didn't want the angry parents writing letters like, oh, my kid was sad because you killed this Arthur character, no matter what character it could have been. They could have <laughs> killed Frank, and like people would still be unhappy. But I think if you want to do that story justice, you have to be willing to uh, do something of gravity like that. And admittedly, the Mr. Hooper thing came out of the death of a real-life person mm-hmm. who played that character on the show, so at some point they had to address it. So that's a, that's, a different, that, that's a different scenario to compare it to. I realize that. but When Optimus Prime died, they just wanted to sell some new toys. Yeah, but at least he got a movie. Yeah, you know, and he you know, came back. You know he came back eventually because yeah. kids were people were angry for a different reason. They were like, "Man, Hot Rod sucks." He, <laughs> he, uh, he does. My boy Hot Rod does suck. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Buster's new friend? What did you think about that one? So, and this is kind of the story of both of these episodes. Like, 
I, I didn't dislike either of these episodes necessarily because I found them both pretty entertaining. They're both pretty funny, and they move at a brisk pace. Yes. And I think the worst thing an Arthur episode can do is bore me. Yes. So those are the episodes I really don't like. And I can see how uh, the Spanky one could really bore you because you're totally uninvested in anything that's going on. Yes. But because I it, I liked the Toad's charisma, sure, sure. the Toad worked for me a little sure. bit more. I was and, like, and I'll tell you this much, too. That's my biggest disappointment with that episode is that the Toad doesn't show up again. I think that episode would actually be a strong episode, in my opinion, if the Toad, if it was the Toad's introduction. Uh, I would like to see the Toad as a regular character. I would be less unkind to it if that were true. Yeah, but unfortunately that isn't. That's why I think the context of that episode is important. It works less as in the context of Arthur as a greater series. But so – um, Buster's new friend is interesting because it's it's a unique subject matter. I, I I didn't understand what a big brother's big sister's person was until this episode. This really introduced the entire concept to me. So I think that's a a, a cool subject to uh, tackle in a kids show because I never really understood what that was. Right. But I also think it, they lose the plot on that because the message of the episode I think is supposed to be. Uh, don't be jealous when there's a new friend or uh, I'm not entirely sure because the problem is all the drama in this episode spurs from Buster no-showing stuff. Uh, And when at the end of the episode they suggest, why don't we all hang out together? That's the exact same thing that they suggest at the start. And had they all hanged out together, then the rest of the episode wouldn't happen. Uh, But I I do think it was funny and I think both of them moved at a brisk pace, which I always appreciate. Mm Mm-hmm. I the things I liked about Buster's new friend was kind of the further deep dive on Arthur's anxiety. This is kind of a running theme, which and I, I again, I'm going to be pr- projecting a lot of personal feelings onto this. I mean, it's hard not to. And I realize like you said you said about the toad, the toad totally worked for you. If it did for you, then it would absolutely make that episode better. And I know that I've gone on and on in the past about how, you know, how much I like Pal mm-hmm. and how much I love Pal and blah blah blah. I can't shut up about Pal. So and I'm and I'm sure he doesn't work for other people the way he does for me. Totally understandable. Uh, Arthur's anxiety is one that really speaks to me, especially where I am right now in my life. I'm you know dealing with a form of anxiety. No idea what that's all about. Just trying to figure that out. But I, a lot of it does resonate with me. Arthur's feelings of jealousy, of being left out, of uh, of abandonment are ones that I really really resonate with me and I think that was the strongest part of the episode was seeing the characterization of Arthur recognizing myself in him both as a kid and as an adult and I think that that's really uh, proof positive that the writing there works you can see it as a kid and then as an adult you see it even clearer which I have to give them accommodation for as much as we kind of you know you know maybe slapped them on the wrist a little bit for you know not shying away from death a little bit in the last one I really think they maybe unintentionally captured anxiety really, really well in and continue to in Arthur. Uh and I agree there were like there were some good lines in here, but like the main concept of the main like crisis of the story really doesn't hold up and kind of doesn't get solved. And it feels like it's still an underlying problem when the show is over. It doesn't feel like a whole lot is accomplished. And that kind of is frustrating, but to a less visceral level, I'll say, than uh, So Long Spanky. I'd say that uh, I, ca- I kind of like Buster's New Friend, but it's not one of my favorites. I'll say this much, though. 
Uh, I totally agree with you. This, Buster's new friend is the most Arthur's anxiety has worked with me so far. Yeah. Like, I find that I'm often more annoyed with Buster than you are. Not Buster. Arthur. Uh, I'm more annoyed with Arthur than you are. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, Arthur, I don't know if this is something to be worrying about. But in this episode, I think Arthur was totally justified, and the writing really worked for me. Like, I... I, I I saw myself in Arthur more than I have prior. Mm. I, I totally understood his feelings and his anxiousness. Uh, and the way he deals with that situation is totally how I would deal with that situation. Mm-hmm. So I really I, – I did like that aspect of it quite a bit. Um, I actually want to go back to something that John said in his email about how the previous episode, uh, the one with pa- uh, Arthur's lost dog, kind of dealt with the relationship of Arthur and Pal. Whereas I disagreed and I kind of said – from Arthur's perspective, it deals with the loss of Pal and how he would take that. And I, I, I find it interesting how this this one is almost like what would happen with Arthur if he lost his friendship with Buster, which is maybe equally important. Like, it would be hard to determine which is more important to him, Pal or Buster. But it's interesting how in the last one, Arthur responded with complete despondence when Pal left and he thought he had left for good and just kind of totally sunk into himself when buster kind of abandons him arthur responds with anger and jealousy Mm -hmm. and like the other side of that coin it's like from sadness to anger these both these really um negative emotions and so i thought i think it's really interesting to kind of compare and contrast the two and you see how kind of fundamental arthur's well-being is placed on his relationships with others his friends his dog and like i would assume the rest of his family so just a little observation there. Again, probably not intended by the creators, but again, kind of reading a bit more uh, adult into this because, hey, that's what this whole podcast is about. Uh, any, anything else before we, uh, before we wrap this up? No, oh, that's good. All right. Well, that is So Long Spanky and Buster's New Friend. Uh, Lucas, do you have uh, internet access there on your phone? I definitely do. Okay. Uh, if, if you don't mind, if I could uh, use that for a second – here we go. Um, this is great radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because once again, I've handed Will the phone. <laughs> Will Will is oh, now. Oh, good. You don't have a lock screen, so typing, I can just open this whenever yeah. I want. I so, always say, if you steal my phone, enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not getting it back. Like have have your fun. You know what um, I mean? Lucas, yeah. Not to not to blow up your spot or anything. And if you want me to delete this from the podcast, I totally will. Yeah. But maybe check where where what site you were on Safari last. Ooh! Oh no! You can leave that in. That's funny. Okay. But we're not going to say the site. But we'll we'll let no. everybody else. No. Again, fill in the blanks. Again, not to blow up your spot, but uh, that's that's you know what that's, that's something. Like this- that's something that I realized I have to do recently is that, like, before I, before I let anybody have the keys to the kingdom, you know, let them touch my iPod, just like, all right, let me just uh, uh, delete this window I was in Safari. And, yes, uh, go on it all you want. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. Of course, there are ways to get in touch with us. You can go to Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's a great way to find uh, both screen caps from the episode that I take. And uh, or we take, and uh, also to find out announcements about when the new episode is coming up. Generally, it's every Friday, but uh, every once in a while, you know, we like to take a break, keep our minds fresh, and uh, we will tell you all about it there. You can also follow us on Twitter at ECL Podcast, and uh, we're putting up funny screen caps there. And uh, 
uh, uh, retweeting all them Arthur memes, those dank memes. And uh, finally, or not finally, actually, uh, thank you to John for sending in that email. If you would like your email read on the air, well, we'd love to read it for you. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com is where you can send that. You can also send practically anything there. Uh, Comments, constructive criticism, uh, any of that stuff, we would love to hear from you personally on what you have to say about the show, an episode we're talking about, a subject, anything in between. And finally, you can listen to this podcast the way that you did. You either listen through SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash Elwood City Limits, or you found us on iTunes. If you found us on SoundCloud, give us a like, leave a comment at your favorite part, and at iTunes, uh, leave us a nice review, and uh, yeah, subscribe to us, please and thank you. It really helps. And I wanted to use your phone because I wanted to look up what the next episode is. I oh, okay. I forgot and uh, to put to write it down on my notes. The next episode it's going to be uh, another one, another double Arthur hit. He's in two of the titles. It's Arthur the Wrecker and Arthur and the True Francine. No idea what these ones are. I, I'm blanking on these two. Like I have kind of an idea of where they could be going, but I'm really not sure. So this is going to be a little bit of a surprise when we uh, decide to hunker down and watch Arthur the Wrecker and Arthur and the True Francine. And, of course, you can find these episodes on uh, uh, your old pal Uncle Google. So uh, beware, but also, uh, you know, make sure to clear your search history. If yeah, else maybe turn the safe search on. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, that's it. That's it for us here. Anything else? Is something dead? Well, what's not dead is Elwood City Limits. Thank you for listening. Uh, For Lucas Mancini, my name is Will Young, and we'll catch you next time. Cookies and website data will be cleared from this iPhone. Yeah, well, let's go with all time. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha!